0: Welcome to Continuum, the International Business Council podcast, where each episode we sit down with an incredible member of the IBC community, dive in, and learn from their journey. This is John Fitzgerald, and welcome to another episode of Continuum, the IBC podcast. Today, I am very, very excited, proud to welcome our guest, Tom White. Um, I'm going to get into how Tom found us in a moment. But Tom, first, welcome. Thanks for being with us and carving out the time for us.
1: I appreciate it, John. Um, you have a silky smooth radio voice. Uh, mine is uh, mine pales in comparison. So hopefully people enjoy listening to me as much as they do you.
0: No, we're going to have a great time. And, and I'm going to get into this right away as to how it's not even we found you, you found us. Uh, so earlier this year, 2022, we launched Continuum and we sent out Uh, an email to what we call people on our platform. Um, Those are graduates of Notre Dame, people who are members of the IBC uh, to announce the introduction of Continuum. And Tom replied to the email, basically saying, if you're looking for any guests, I'd love to talk to you. I received the email, followed up with Tom and had maybe a five minute conversation with him, not so much to to vet you, Tom, but rather to make sure you kind of understand what we're trying to do. We just want to talk to you and really dive into your background, understand your concepts and leadership, as well as talk about the SIBC and your view of kind of the the IBC mission. So uh, fortunately, we were able to get this scheduled. And again, I'm really looking forward to it. So at this point, I'd just like to jump in and, and again, welcome, Tom. I appreciate it. And if you could just give us a little background, like where did you grow up? Where where are you now? What are you doing?
1: So I am a native New Yorker. Um, You can take the kid out of the city, but not the city out of the kid. Um, So born in Queens, raised in Long Island, uh, went to an all boys Jesuit school, Regis High School in Manhattan. So I commuted each day an hour and a half um, from Garden City, New York. Via the Long Island Railroad, uh, the C train, and then the M eighty six bus to school. So about an hour and a half each way, uh, and then I went to Notre Dame and graduated in twenty fourteen. Um, after a long kind of meandering career journey all over the place in big tech, uh, in startups, um, writing, ghostwriting, writing, etc. I currently work as a director of research at a fintech company called Stunks, which aims to make private market investing in the very best startups alongside the very best venture capital firms, uh, accelerators, et cetera, accessible, um, to, uh, retail investors. So, um, that is the brief answer. Uh, it's a long, long winding road, but that's where I currently am. And I, I currently split time actually, um, between South Bend, Indiana, and then uh, New York, New York. So I'm back in New York for the holidays now, but the spring and the fall, I'm out uh, in Notre Dame. I'm emotionally over-invested in Notre Dame football, hockey, and basketball, um, which per this past weekend, unfortunately, (laughs) it was a rough one.
0: So you mentioned Notre Dame. So you get out of Regis High School, Regis Regis Jesuit, excuse me, and- you choose to go to Notre Dame for undergrad. Correct. So, so tell us about that that process. What did you go through? How did you choose Notre Dame? And tell us about your time at Notre Dame.
1: Totally. So um, for me, I applied to Notre Dame early action, um, was blessed to be admitted. Um, and then I, I received the Hesburgh-Yusko Scholarship. So I was the first class in the Hesburgh-Yusko Scholarship, which is for uh, men and women that um, – had um, intellectual firepower, uh, spirit of service, um, a penchant for leadership, um, and a real desire to to give back to the Notre Dame community. So, it was an absolutely wonderful experience. Um, the uh, Notre Dame was always near and dear to my heart. Um, the other school I I was accepted to was Princeton, um, and I I decided on Notre Dame because. It's one thing to um, have a rigorous intellectual education. It's another entirely to have one of the mind, body, and soul. And I think that's what Notre Dame really, really provides. Uh, It's a three-dimensional education um, that points you towards terra firma and a true north, which is fundamentally who are you? Who do you want to become and how do you want to treat other individuals across the board? So I had an incredible time at Notre Dame. I'm super thankful. I mean, the men and women that I met, um, that I lived with in Dillon Hall, those that were in my major, uh, the program Liberal Studies, which is a classic liberal arts education, um, were just absolutely phenomenal. Um, Men and women that uh, I'm still very, very lucky to call uh, friends to this day. Uh, this year I had 12 weddings. I was in six of them. So, uh, half of those were, were Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame alums. But, um, just to quickly touch on my, my like academic experience in Notre Dame, uh, my major was the PLS, AKA probably law school, AKA the $200,000 book club. Um, that was what it was called, uh, that and Italian. So, I was lucky in that uh I told my parents when I um when I went to school I was like, hey, I'm not going to school for a job, I'm going to school for an education, to learn how to think, to read, to write, because that's a toolbox that will make me more dangerous no matter what I want to do. And I had no idea what I wanted to do because I'm I was and still am insatiably curious. Um but ironically I was studying for the LSAT before I kind of took the plunge into big tech startups, venture capital, etc. Uh, because when I was studying for the LSAT after um, I had graduated, I had worked at a tech accelerator. I had run a startup into the ground. Um, I was like, "Hey, I'll just go to law school. It's a pretty, pretty safe, uh, safe bet uh, as the son of two lawyers, especially and someone that likes to read, to write, to uh, to be argumentative, uh, etc." I was I applied to Google on a whim. Hey, they probably don't want anything to do with me, but it'd be really cool to work in a place like Google um and receive an offer to join. Uh, and then I never ended up taking the LSAT um because I uh I, I joined Google. So I mean Notre Dame has an incredibly special place in my heart. The the type of person that it attracts um is a person of integrity, a person that truly like like loves others and when i say loves others i use the classical definition which is like affirms another's being which is to say when people say i love you it's like hey the world is a better place because you are in it and i have a tremendous tremendous base of friends of professors of administrators that i still keep in touch with to this day so i mean <laughs> notre dame as you can tell very very invested in notre dame and uh yeah it's it's a phenomenal phenomenal very very special place.
0: That's compelling thanks. So when you look at where you are today what are you passionate about what are you passionate about what motivates you?
1: Uh how long do you have um I would say the the um the main driver is uh is curiosity, intellectual curiosity. My grandfather uh, my late grandfather is my hero. Um his famous line was and education is the lightest burden you'll ever carry. Um, this is a man that when he was 90, uh, before he died, was learning both Latin and calculus. So that love of learning, that love of uh, that spark of intellectual curiosity, has been drilled into me from the youngest age. And when I was in high school, um, we'd have like great book seminars and we'd read a bunch of different uh, literature uh, and my grandfather, John, he would like read them alongside me and we'd discuss them actually. So from a very young age, um, I was exposed to like the joys of intellectual inquiry, of reading, of curiosity. I'm insatiably curious. Uh, a lot of rabbit holes that I go down, um, a lot of different areas. Um where I find myself lost because the love of learning is something that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, so that's, that's a big driver. And then the second thing I would say is life is simple, but it's not easy. And I think we tend to overcomplicate it. And I'm very, very guilty of that in a lot of ways, shapes and forms, but it's faith, family and friends. Those are the, the three things that I don't need much. Those are the things that I need in my life. And I'm very blessed. I have a strong faith a wonderful family uh and just the best friends anyone could ask for
0: when you got out of school, you mentioned that you your first real career job was with
1: google well that that was that was my third actually
0: just okay so <laughs> what were the first two yeah
1: so the first was I worked as um director of community and the internship program at a place called Grand Central Tech, which was a startup accelerator in New York City worked there for about eight to twelve months. Caught the startup bug, said the famous last words, how hard can this be, uh, and quickly learned uh, how how hard it was. So um, co-founded and co-shuttered a startup with um, my younger brother and older cousin uh, called Glyph Messaging. And then after that, uh, went to Google after applying or applying after studying for the LSAT and thankfully not taking that dreaded test.
0: So what did you learn in those first few years?
1: After undergrad, I would say creating anything from scratch is very, very hard. Um, I think a lot of people take for granted the amount of right place, right time, right situation uh, when it comes to creating a leaping emerging effect that is a successful company or startup or initiative or something of that nature. But I, I think the thing that really – and I have to keep reminding myself of this because it's easy to get kind of cowed and awed by, um, by those individuals that are insanely productive, that are at the top of their game. Like no one knows anything, right? Fundamentally, everyone is making it up as they go along and I think in venture capital and – if you will, the most recent example of this is the blow up of FTX, which is a huge crypto exchange backed by the premier list of investors across uh, the board. And then that of BlockFi. I mean, this company BlockFi uh, was ra- valued a year ago at $3 billion and it recently filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy, right? So no one knows anything. So I think... Um, a quote that I think about a lot, it has to do with writing, um, but I think it equally applies to life, is that life is a lot like driving at night in the fog with your headlights on. You can only see what's right in front of you, but you can make the whole journey that way. So it's just one step at a time. But the fact that no no one knows anything, right? I mean, the future is uncertain by definition. Um, risk is what you don't prepare for. So... I think having the the faith in yourself and investing in your most important asset, which is your own private equity, which is yourself, is super, super valuable. Um, so that's that's been something that's been that I learned in that first job, and then again and again and again, it's just been um, reiterated both because of mistakes that I've made, mistakes that have been adjacent to me, but also those from people that seem as though. They can do no wrong or they're infallible in their thinking
0: so you you fast forward to today. Tell us uh, about you in an average day what What's an average day for you?
1: a uh, lot of email a lot of meetings um no, but in all seriousness um wake up pretty early i'm i'm a I'm a writer and a creative type, so routines are hard to come by because sometimes inspiration will strike, and I'll just write something uh down and just kind of go. Go with the flow, but um, a lot of so my role at Stonks, director of research, again, what that means, it's nebulous, but I am effectively in charge of marketing, storytelling, evangelization, growth, partnerships, etc. Like, how do I articulate what Stong's is? why it matters, and how individuals can get involved in some way, shape, or form if they want to. So that involves three main things. So it's one, a lot of conversations with top users to better understand what they like, what they dislike, what they want to see with regards to a roadmap, a lot of conversations with potential partners, um, because another kind of truism with regards to startups that I think a lot about is first-time founders obsess over the product, Second time founders obsess over the distribution uh, and distribution is a lot harder to crack than uh, the product I've found in my experience, just writ large. Uh, awareness is absolutely huge. So this is a very verbose way of articulating my day, but ton of emails, um, a ton of meetings with individuals. And then I try, um, operative word being tried to carve out time for deep work. So that's writing, um, that's recording podcasts uh, for Stonks, podcasts like this one, um, and also creating compelling narratives and content that help individuals better understand what it means to invest in venture capital. It's a very strange asset class. It's a power law distribution, right? One investment can and should return the entire portfolio. Um, by the nature. And that's very, very different from real estate, from public equities, from bonds or or what have you. Um, and then trying to meet individuals where they are and, and show them that venture capital and invest in private markets and invest in like top investors in private markets. It's not rocket science. Um, and it's been exclusive for the sake of being exclusive for far too long. And that, in my mind, is wrong because retail investors, um, they only get access to these companies oftentimes when they go public. And at that point, they really exit liquidity because of these insane valuations as opposed to owners at the earliest stages. So a lot of that value capture with regards to the market capitalization is already gone, right? I mean, if you look at any tech stock um, that's gone public in 2021, I mean, they're almost all down between... Seventy to ninety percent, um, and that's that's a that's a tangent, but that's a, hopefully that's an articulation that's uh, that's clear.
0: What would you tell your college self today, knowing what you know now?
1: I think it's very easy to because of mimetic desire, because of behavioral contagion. I was pretty obsessed senior year about getting a job, about finding certainty after the big G graduation. So I applied to a ton of jobs, a lot of like formal processes and interviews and resume workshops and what have you. Um, I think the two things that I would would tell myself is one, don't worry. It all works out. I mean I'm only where I am today because I stand on the shoulders of giants because um, the Notre Dame alumni network in all honesty – And because of a bunch of happy accidents, candidly, like it all works out. There is a plan. You just have to do the work and things will work out. I firmly, firmly believe that that's where faith comes into my life. Um, But also secondly, don't get caught up in the rat race and get, and get a job for the sake of getting a job simply because if, if you win the rat race, you're still a rat, right? So focus on A concept that I love is Ikagi, which is like melding what you're good at, what betters the world, what you can be paid for, and what um, you yourself can only do. So I think that's probably an asymptote. No one is going to hit that in his or her life. But if you think very deeply about what's important to you about first principles, and if you follow your curiosities, things have a way of working out as opposed to trying to jam round pegs and square holes. So I would say, don't worry. And again, don't get caught up in the rat race and try to get a job for the sake of getting a job. Um, life's too short in that capacity. And I think a lot of wasted, there's a lot of, I mean, just like looking back at my senior year, uh, and classmates, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears wasted on things that are pretty ephemeral, which is namely that first job out of college. Um, and you can't get your senior year of college back, so that's that's what I would what I would
0: uh, advise. A follow up, a two sided question. What do you think it takes to be successful? And then the other part of it is what holds people back.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of it is again, life is simple, but it's not easy. I think it's integrity, right? Being a good person and meaning what you say and saying what you mean reliability, doing what you say you're going to do, uh, and hard work. I think, honestly, if you triangulate those three vectors, you will have an outsized impact in whatever field or job or industry that you choose to go into. I really, really believe that 99% of it is just showing up and just putting yourself out there. I mean, for me, I'm, again, a writer, and I just – like when I was in sales at Google – Luckily, I became pretty numb to rejection because I heard it all the time so now I'm not afraid of asking the question of putting myself out there I send three cold emails a week to individuals and I've gotten responses from people that I have no business conversing with Mark Cuban Melinda Gates um, Malcolm Gladwell I have no business conversing with these individuals but I put myself out there I get a thoughtful message and I shot my shot and you know oftentimes it doesn't go in but but it does. So I think putting yourself out there, having integrity, working hard and then just reliability, doing what you say you're going to do, because the vast majority of people, unfortunately, don't have those things. And it's really simple, but we tend to overcomplicate it. I think that leads into the second part of the question, which is we trip ourselves up because I think we we worship sacred cows that really aren't important and we lose sight of you know what really matters. I think about the dignity of work, right? Like work ought to be enjoyable. Work ought to be having a positive outsized impact on the world. I think about um, fear of success. I think there's a lot of self-sabotage because people are afraid of what they might be were they to put their heart and soul into, um, into everything. And I think there's a, there's a, tr- a real fear of rejection that is is silly because in my experience again going back to sales and think everyone should do sales because it really hammers these things home. Maybe is worse than a no. Tell me a no, I'm fine. A maybe is the worst thing ever because then I have to follow up and keep going and going and going. But um I think and I fall victim to this far too often. Um it's overcomplicating things and strain from the values, the principles you know the the hard work that will get you through whatever maelstrom or tempest that you find yourself in, and that's kind of an that's kind of like an esoteric answer, but I firmly believe it.
0: No, no, I, I don't think so at all. And I think what's interesting, and I want to bring up a different topic for our listeners. You know, you mentioned sales, and you mentioned failure, and you mentioned overcoming the obstacles that we have, and I want to talk yeah. specifically about something for you, in regard to you in that you have this insatiable curiosity. Yeah. And I know for me, when, you know, going back to when we first spoke, I wanted to just find some background on you. So I was a little bit more conversant during our conversation. And so back when you were at Notre Dame, you gave a presentation, I'm going to call it a TED Talk. Yeah. Uh, that's something very personal to you. Um, and if you could just take a minute or two, not a long time, but just... To, to share with our listeners what that is, yeah. and because I think it's fascinating in, in this conversation that we're, whatever we are into this now, that what you're going to share with us, it blows me away. So I, I'm with that, I'm going to turn it to you.
1: Yeah. So um, I, I suffer from uh, Tourette syndrome. It's a neurological disorder characterized by motor and vocal tics that last more than one year. Um, it's genetic. It started when I was nine. I still have it. um, And it manifests in tics that can be um, verbal. They can be motor, uh, which is to say they involve movement or what have you. Um, It is a very, very difficult thing to deal with when you're not in control of your own mind and body. Um, It is... It leads to doubt. It leads to why me? It leads candidly to self-loathing. But I think the lesson that it's taught me is just psychological fortitude. I mean, if I can overcome this, if I can overcome the demons that, for lack of a better term, that arise because of um, neurochemical imbalances in my head, i can literally do anything and do i like talking about it no is it my duty to talk about it 1000% because a lot of individuals that do suffer from it lack the ability quite literally to discuss it um are are not comfortable doing so and you know are are stigmatized in a lot of ways shapes and forms and i've fallen victim to that um, ironically it's kind of a blessing Uh, in, in some ways, because, uh, one, it's a filter for like, for bad people. If people are going to, you know, attach this to me and not want to deal with me, it's all right. Like have a good one. That's, that's kind of a filter because, you know, if you're going to judge someone, uh, by something so superficial, it says a lot about you as person. But also secondly, uh, because I'm very like hyperactive and my mind is always kind of an overdrive. Uh, I think I think I think uh, I think no I don't sorry I think a lot more quickly than other individuals and I'm able to make these connections that I think come out in my writing that make me more creative more curious and able to take different disciplines topics and intermingle them in in a novel way Um, so still suffer from it Um, I can. suppress it, but it's exhausting, like as I'm doing this whole call. Uh but eventually like it it comes out like any sort of uh it's like holding um a ball underwater, if you will. Eventually it it pops. Um so yeah. So I still do research on it. Um I still um like go to conferences, I discuss it in a variety of public venues. Um it's my duty. It's important to do so on behalf of all those that cannot. If I inspire one person, if I help one person, I've succeeded. Um, and that that TED talk that you mentioned was eight years ago, and I still get random emails from people. Like it's it's really, it's really wonderful to uh, to to hear, just that I've helped someone. Yeah,
0: that's fantastic. I, and I appreciate you taking the time to just of talk course. about this and address it because I I think there's. A tremendous amount that we all can learn. Thank you. Um, you know, from you and just the ability to, you know, confront, you know, as Jim Collins says, confront the brutal, brutal facts.
1: Yeah. When you're going through hell, keep going.
0: Um, and kind of take a leadership. Yeah. Kind of take a leadership position. And with that, can of talk about leadership a little bit, Tom? Sure. Can you name a person or a couple people that have had a tremendous impact on you as a leader in your career?
1: Yeah. I would go back to my grandfather. Um, This is a man, again, as I mentioned earlier, he's 90 um, and he's learning Latin and calculus. Uh, Most people don't do that, let alone when they're 90. Um, He uh, was a veteran of World War II. Um, He was the father uh, of seven children. Uh, And I think one story really, really sticks out. Because I think leadership to me, again, it comes back to integrity. Everything comes back to integrity. The world revolves around integrity as it pertains to goodness uh, and impact. But one story really um, sticks out. So he married my grandmother. Uh, We're blessed to have seven children, one of whom is my mother. Um, And one of my late aunt, Julia, she was 13, 14 when she was diagnosed with a really rare form of uh, pancreatic cancer that is like never seen in, in children. Um, fought the good fight, fought a battle for two, three years. Unfortunately, she succumbed to it. Uh, and it was on Holy Thursday. And our family always does a Holy Thursday walk now in her honor, um, which is right before Easter. But, um, my mom trembles candidly when she talks about this but they're all at home uh my grandmother and grandfather have been at the hospital um you know obviously making arrangements and what have you and my parents or my parents my mom my aunts and uncles are wailing they're crying devastated i mean they've lost a sibling uh my grandfather walks into the house um and i can't even imagine the strength that this takes but he said to my aunts and uncles we will have a happy home and a happy life because julia would want that for us and i mean in your darkest hour in your as father um to this poor deceased girl i mean the the strength that that takes that's everything right like like extraordinary and large things happen from the accumulation of very small um, habits or occurrences or circumstances. Um, and I think back to Stephen Colbert, there's a wonderful article about Stephen Colbert in GQ magazine. Um, and he says two things and I get, this relates a lot to how I process my life with Tourette and the bad things that happen to me and other individuals. It's like, one, what punishments of God are not gifts? And that is a radical, difficult concept to grasp with. But also, um, you have to learn to love the bum. You don't like, you have to learn to love and accept the worst thing that's happened to you. And this is coming from Colbert, who lost half his family in a plane crash when he was 10. So I think leadership is. When you when you least want to take that step forward, when you least want to do it, still, you know, having the the temerity to pick up your foot and just put it in front of you. And it's hard. It's really hard.
0: You mentioned early in your career, I think it was you, your brother, and a cousin yeah. ran a company. And then, like you say, you ran the company into the ground. Correct. <laughs> and And we've all made mistakes. So if this is going to be possibly an unfair question, but – what one mistake do you think leaders make most often today?
1: Yeah, so I think, I, ironically, on that note, so I read a blog. Uh, I'd be remiss as a uh, a writer not to mention it. It's called White Noise. www.whitenoise.email. and a joking or a funny post that I've written is uh, ten steps to kill your startup. Um, so I kind of outline it in in that post, but I think the the things that um, the things the mistakes that individuals make one is sacrificing the long term at the expense of the short term we're bad at thinking about the future this is why individuals spend as opposed to save this is why few americans take advantage of 401k's and roth iras and what have you so i think choosing for short term expediency at the long term or at the expense of long term value forbearance at the expense of um those things that you know are good but don't want to i think is one thing and also secondly it's focus um i think in this world the information age that we're in there's a hell of a lot of noise and not too much signal and that's what killed us fundamentally it's a lack of focus the one thing when you're starting a company you cannot have enough of is focus and also assuming we assumed that people wanted what we were building when in reality it was a solution looking for a problem as opposed to a solution to a problem um, as it currently exists. So I think short-term expediency, focus, and assumptions are can really be fatal because people are weird. People are fickle. Um, and it's the whole Henry Ford trope. If I asked people what they wanted, they'd say a faster horse, not combustion engine.
0: You talked about family yeah. a few times. You mentioned your parents, brother, cousin, especially your grandfather. How important is family to you? Not just so much in your life, but in your career, and how do they parallel each other?
1: Totally. So I would say, if my if my career uh, and my life is uh, my personal and professional lives are uh, houses. Or if they're a house, pardon me. Um, the bedrock that it's built on is is faith, family, and friends. That's what it comes down to. Um, I chose a very different profession from most individuals in my family. As an Irish Catholic family, um, almost everyone's a lawyer. Uh, the joke is that we need a doctor and a priest. I will not be either of those things. Um, to be very clear um and and we don't have any of those thus far uh, we have more lawyers at least in my generation but um it's the bedrock of everything um i mean there's there's a um, a tiled piece in my my home that i'm visualizing now and it's uh, a peaceful home doth and kindle a restful spirit
0: hey, can you repeat that sure repeat that for us
1: a peaceful home doth and kindle a restful spirit right like if you nail the basics, things work out and it sounds like a truism. It sounds like an aphorism, but these again, life is simple, but it's not easy and we overcomplicate it. And I do so probably every hour of every day, but you don't need much. So yeah, family. I mean, my brother is four years, my junior, he's my best friend. Um, I, I'm named for my father and my grandfather before that. Um, my, my mother and I just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I'm insanely, I won the genetic lottery and the familial lottery in so many different ways.
0: That's fantastic to hear. Thanks. Um, I, I want to switch on and talk a little bit about the IBC and the SIBC. Yeah. So the, the SIBC started at Notre Dame, uh, 1988. Uh, it's since expanded to university of San Diego and Benedictine college. Um, the IBC About 15, 16 years later, started. And the the whole idea of the IBC was to offer the continuation of the SIBC to graduates and people in their careers. And our mission, the IBC mission, is to create a world where the business community acts as a principled force for the common good globally. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you just give your thoughts on that? I mean, what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people because of the examples that we have in life and popular culture, think that the common good and impact is exclusive from success. Um, because I think a lot of individuals because of perverse incentives, because of college rankings, candidly, and a lot of other things, they push individuals into these roles where they are not fostering their creativity. Um, It's like I was in senior year, getting caught up in getting a job, getting a job, getting a job, when fundamentally this is a job you'll probably be in, let's be realistic, for two years, if not less, uh, and then move on to something that actually lights you up and makes you passionate. But um, I think given the state of government, of public institutions, and and others, I think the private sector and business in particular – has the ability to move a lot more quickly and to levy a lot more impact across a wide variety of sectors, verticals, and industries because of the pace at which private markets and private companies can move, not having the sclerotic, bureaucratic red tape that hampers, I think, a lot of nonprofits, a lot of government agencies, et cetera. And I think COVID, candidly, is a microcosm of that. I think COVID has shown that, one, to go back to an earlier point, nobody knows anything. We're all making it up as we go along. And I think the the emperors, if you will, of society have been shown to not be wearing clothes. So I think as a young person, um, whether it be in the SIBC or the IBC, to think that you you cannot have an impact because of age or experience, I think that's an excuse and it shirks it, it, it your responsibility as, you know, an individual that is committing to making things better, whatever those things may be for a wider variety of individuals. Um, that's my, my sincere thought. I'm going to keep on that last point for a moment. Yeah.
0: So what would you say to a group of recent college graduates who have a strong desire to really make an impact on the world but have no idea where to start?
1: Follow your curiosities. Follow your curiosities because, I mean, we'd all be so lucky, per Warren Buffett, to tap dance to work because we we truly love what we do. That's rare, right? That's exceedingly rare. But if you follow – I mean, I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. I have the ability to read, to write, to think, to converse with individuals far more intelligent than I am and help founders that are doing the hardest thing, You know, pushing these rocks up hills, uh, in the the hopes of almost delusional hope that that you'll be able to make the world a better place or impact lives or, um, or ameliorate some difficulty or make some process uh, less friction heavy. Um, follow your curiosities because then it works out, right? Like if you, it, it's the whole, it's such a trope. The, this is the annoying thing about like writing. Uh, it's because I fall victim to tropes, but they're true. It's really true, if you love what you do, it doesn't matter. You won't work a day in your life. I truly believe that, and i I never took a business class. I've not taken one business class. I took rhetoric, I took scientific inquiry, philosophical inquiry, et cetera, et cetera Like I never took a business class, and I think i'm more, i'm better for that, and I think I'm more dangerous for that because as opposed to you know picking up a hammer or a saw or a wrench. I have a toolbox and I learned how to learn to be able to put those things into my toolbox and be more efficacious in that way. So I would say follow your curiosity and a lot of individuals out there, they won't say this, but I know that it's a fact, would much rather hire uh, an intelligent, hungry individual than someone who is experienced and has done it for quite some time. Um, when I look to hire individuals, I look for integrity, I look for intellectual firepower, and I look for a propensity for hard work that individuals can show as opposed to merely tell me in some way, shape, or form. Um, so, I think following your curiosities and and being reliable, that will help you approach that asymptote that is Ikagi in in your life. And I'm not there. I don't think anyone is, but we can all get closer to that ideal time in the
0: short period of, of time you've had on on this earth yes what are you most proud of
1: that's a great question i think it would be the love that i've expressed to others which is to say like the the loyalty the kindness that i've shown to family that i've shown to friends i think what what i'm proud of is showing up for people i always show up for people um and again, it's the simple things that allow for enormous things, which are friendship, which are family, which is relationships, etc. So I would say showing up for people. Yeah, that's that's what I would
0: say. And then kind of a, a continuation of that, what do you think it what do you believe it takes to have a great meaningful life?
1: Can I actually elaborate on the latter point? Because I think like it's obviously one thing to tell as opposed to show. But, um, in 2017, um, I received a call from be the match, which is the national bone marrow, um, registration. And I literally vividly remember swabbing my cheek in order to get a free t-shirt in college, um, in the student center. Oh, sweet. Another t-shirt. I mean, nothing is as wonderful as free. Um, And I receive a call in January of 2017. Hey, like you're the match for someone, this individual, 21-year-old male, severe aplastic anemia. You're basically this individual's last shot. Would you be willing to have a blood test to see if you're a fit, to see if your bone marrow would be a fit? So had the blood test, you're a fit. Have some physicals to make sure you're up for the surgery. Had some physicals, was up for the surgery. Um, So I think a thing that I'm proud of is for someone, I mean, however however you treat a stranger, however you treat someone that can do no one for you is truly a testament, I think, to your character. And I, so in April of 2017, I donated 1.7 liters of my bone marrow um, to a stranger, uh, 21-year-old male in in Brazil with severe aplastic anemia. Um, As far as I know, that person is alive um I, I would only i don't know who that person is i can never know because of international HIPAA and and health regulations but um yeah i mean showing up for people it's so so important and i said who am i as someone to talk about these things and as a catholic to not do this you'd want if she was on the other foot someone to to do that for you so that's something that i'm i'm super proud of treating someone that i'll never know and hopefully giving him the gift of, of life. Um, and I don't recommend it. It's insanely painful. I I
0: just, this is amazing. I just wanted to say thank you. I, I could go on and and continue with a a plethora of more questions, but, um, we'll do this. We'll do part two.
1: Awesome. Amazing. John. Um,
0: I I just wanted to, to say thank you very much for your time today, your insights and just your, your, your candidness is tremendous, and I really, really
1: appreciate it. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. And thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to let me uh, ramble on.
0: <laughs> You're more than welcome. Tom, have a great day. Look forward to speaking to you in the future.
1: You too, John. Have a great one.
0: Thank you for listening today to Continuum, the IBC's podcast series. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And for more information about the IBC, visit our website, at ouribc.com. That's just O-U-R-I-B-C.com. Thanks.